0: Thank you so much for being here tonight. If you have a copy of God's word, if you will open up to 2nd Chronicles chapter 26 on Wednesday, April the 10th, 1912. The white star line ship RMS Titanic left dock from Southampton, England, en route to eventually try to get to New York. At the time, it was the largest ship in the world. Here's a fun fact for you. It was one of the very first ships with a swimming pool. It was actually publicized as the world's largest, safest, most luxurious five-star floating hotel. That's how they promoted it. It's possible that you have probably seen the movie Titanic. It was made several years back, but if you've seen the movie Uh, You will remember there was a moment in the movie where a man by the name of Cal and Rose's mother, uh, Ruth, are about to board the ship. And Ruth claims, she says this, So this is the ship that they say is unsinkable. To which Cal replies and he says, Well, it is unsinkable. God himself could not sink this ship. That is a very famous line. It's a very famous line in the movie, and it is a true quote. It was not by uh, Cal. It was actually from one of the crew members of the RMS Titanic that is accredited to saying the very famous line, not even God himself could sink this ship. I you know it's pretty amazing. Uh, my wife and I are planning on going on a cruise in December with our children and uh we see every time they build a new cruise ship, they always put that cruise ship up next to the Titanic. And you look at that and you're like, wow, that's really small. But back then, it was a, a marvel. It was a, a, the largest ship of the day. The creators of the Titanic were so sure that it was unsinkable that the lifeboats on board filled to capacity, 100% filled to capacity, could hold 1,178 people. However, there was one problem. On the day that it shipped out, there was approximately uh, 2,208 people on board. So they had enough lifeboats for about half of the people on board. Uh, On the night that it hit the iceberg and it sank, 1,496 people would lose their life. That's about 500 less than they could have actually put on the boats. But because they thought that the ship couldn't sink, even the crew members would not fill uh, the lifeboats to full capacity. Because they thought, this is silly, we're just going to go out there in the water for a few hours and then they'll call us right back onto the ship. So, three-fourths of the crew, three-fourths of the people on the boat would perish. Pride. Pride led to think that this ship was invincible. Pride led to the captain wanting to make it to New York faster than he said he would. uh, To get the newspapers to write an article about, wow, that was fast. Pride led to put these people in danger. Pride eventually cost a lot of people their lives. And tonight we're going to be looking at King Uzziah. And as we look at King Uzziah in Second Chronicles chapter 26, we're going to see what was once a very successful kingly reign, uh, very promising, gets off to a very great start, eventually will end in a tragic conclusion. Uh, A life that starts off good. uh, As some of these kings, when they talk about them, they do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. They do what is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, but then, like many of these kings, losing their way towards the end of their life. So, how did we get to King Uzziah? Uh, Uzziah. First of all, remember that the nation of Israel uh, was in captivity in Egypt, and Moses would start off leading the people out of it, out of Egypt, and leading them towards the promised land. Uh, Moses was not a king, but he was the first leader. In the nation, and we see that he was uh, the lawgiver. He was like a general. When you looked at who was in charge and who the people complained to, it was Moses. The buck stopped there. Uh, Then, after Moses, he leads them right up to the edge of the promised land. Because of his disobedience, he doesn't doesn't get to go in. But then the reins are uh, handed to Joshua, and Joshua, uh, like I said, probably my favorite character. Uh, Of course, besides Jesus in the Bible, Uh, we see that he's a very godly leader, but he's a military general. And he will be responsible for going into the promised land, clearing out the enemies, taking over the land, dividing up the land. Uh, Joshua does many great things in his life as the person in charge. And then it's handed over to the judges. And when we get into the the times of the judges, they're kind of... uh, Around the area, they're not over the nation per se, but the judges, uh, for the most part, spoke for God. Uh, the judges uh, were very flawed leaders. They didn't uh, do what was in the best inter- interest of the people many much of the time. But God used these um, judges to give the people a message. He used these judges to bring judgment upon the other nations as well. And that brings us to Samuel. Samuel was the last judge uh, for the nation, for God's people. Uh, And Samuel, in essence, will kind of usher in uh, the the trilogy of the kings here when we have Saul, David, and Solomon. Saul, uh, being a very wicked king for the most part, he he started off uh, okay, but he went off the tracks really quick. And then it goes to David. And we know all the stories of David. A man after God's own heart. He led the people well. But even with his flaws, David uh, in his kingship had many flaws. And he hands the reins over to his son Solomon. And Solomon's reign uh, was probably one of the, the greatest reigns of any of the kings uh, in the Old Testament. Uzziah is a close second. What The man that we're talking about tonight. Uh, but... Solomon, uh, between Saul, David, and Solomon, all three kings over a unified nation, all three kings that uh, led for the Lord. And then we see a civil war happen after Solomon, and the nation splits in two, and we have Rehoboam, a king over Judah, we have Jeroboam, king over Israel, and as we talk about the kings of Judah, some of the kings of Judah are very good, a lot of the kings are bad in, in the nation of Judah. But in the nation of Israel, um, in the northern tribe of Israel, or northern uh, Israel tribe, all of the kings are wicked. None of them do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. They all uh, pretty much do what they want to do. And so that leads us uh, to King Uzziah over the nation of Judah. So a few things about King Uzziah. First of all, he was voted in as king of Judah after his father was taken captive by King Jehoash of Israel. Amaziah, who was his father, was later murdered after the people conspired against him. It's kind of a weird start for King Uzziah. Um, His father, Amaziah, was the king. He was a king that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he had a pretty long, successful reign. But towards the end of his life... Um, he challenged the King of Israel and not to get into it too much because this is about King Uzziah not about his father, but he challenges the King of Israel to a duel or why don't you come meet me face to face? It's like your junior high boys meeting on the playground. You know, when we meet out there, we're going to get together and we're going to have a little conversation. Right. And so, and as we say here in West Texas, um, His father, Amaziah, is going to bite off more than he can chew. And uh, because he bites off more than he can chew, we're going to see that he will eventually lose to Jehoash in battle. And the city will be ransacked. And he is taken captive. He's taken into captivity. And in this time, while he is in captivity, the nation kind of gets together and they say, all right, we're going to make his son the king. So King Uzziah is made king. While his father is in prison or a prisoner in Israel. So he's placed on the throne in that time. So, just an interesting fact Uh, for 25 years, for the first 25 years of King Uzziah's reign, his father is still alive. So they're kind of co kings. He's not like he removed him from being king, but King Uzziah was in a place of leadership. He was making calls for the nation. He was in charge of the nation while his father was kind of off in captivity. And even when he's released, he kind of runs around trying to hide from people who are trying to get to him. We'll talk about that in a second. Eventually, he will lose credibility with the people. The people will hunt him down and the people will put him to death. Um, putting his son in sole reign over the throne of Judah. And so... Here's another interesting point. Not only did he co-reign with his father at the beginning of his life, he also co-reigns with his son towards the end of his life. So the past 17 years, I mean, excuse me, uh, there's only a middle gap in the middle of his long reign of 17 years where he is the sole king of Judah. 17 years where he's the sole king of of Judah, uh, where he reigns. So he reigns a little bit with his father at the beginning, reigns with his son a little bit at the end, and he has about 17 years in the middle where he is the sole king over Judah. Here's your second point. Uzziah was made king at the age of 16, and he had a reign of 52 years. This is the longest continuous reign of any of the kings in the Old Testament. Manasseh will have a reign of 55 years, but it's interrupted by captivity uh, by the king of Babylon. So when we think about, uh, don't show this next picture before I, I get going. But, uh, but to think about Uzziah's reign and the fact that he reigned over the nation of Judah longer than I've been alive. And I think I'm pretty old at this point in my life. Uh, it's an incredible run. Don't show the picture yet. So can anyone remember this? Did he show the picture yet? Okay. If we think about who was the president of the United States 52 years ago today, does anyone have a clue who it might have been? I heard a lot of... Okay, show them the picture. Richard Richard Nixon. If you were to go back and keep the same president for the last 52 years, Richard Nixon would still be president today that kind of gives you an idea of how long King Uzziah reigned uh, in this time. Do I have the wrong picture up there? I just wanted to make sure. Uh, He wasn't my president, so I couldn't, have known anyway. So at the age of 16, he was made king and he had a reign of 52 years. Uh, Point number three, uh, Uzziah means Yahweh is my strength. Uzziah is his name in 2 Chronicles. We see him by a different name in the book of 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 15, he goes by the name Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped. So Yahweh is my strength and Yahweh has helped. And if you were to only read in 2 Kings about Uzziah or Azariah, uh, you'll miss a ton. Because there's only about 9 verses in 2 Kings that, give, uh, that talk about Azariah. Whereas Uzziah has several chapters and it gets into Isaiah and other books that King Uzziah is mentioned in. So we're going to look tonight at 2 Chronicles, chapter 26, as we look at the reign of King Uzziah. First point Uzziah sought the Lord as instructed by Zechariah. He sought the Lord as instructed by Zechariah, and God made him prosper. God made him prosper. Let's look at verse 5, chapter 26. It says, And he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. This is what I believe is Uzziah's greatest achievement in his reign as king. I started with this because I think it's the reason why we're going to see the success, the reason why we're going to see growth, the reason why we're going to see the nation flourish under his reign. And it's because he had a man named Zechariah who was coaching him. Now, Zechariah is not the prophet Zechariah that is so famous in the Bible. Zechariah, it's one of those instances in the Bible where it's the same name, but it's a different person. So it's not the prophet Zechariah, but it's some guy that coached him, that instructed him in the fear of the Lord, who taught him how to seek God, who taught him that if he sought God, that his way would prosper. So um, Uzziah, I think, would have been very thankful for this guy. He listened to this guy. And because of that, he was instructed in the fear of God. He taught Uzziah how to seek God, how to seek Him daily. And it says here God made His way prosper. Let's look at His second achievement. Uzziah built Eloth. Verse 2. Let's go back up to verse 2. It says, He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. One of the first things that is recorded that King Uzziah does in his reign is that he builds Eloth. Eloth was a very important seaport uh, on the Red Sea. It was in Edom. This seaport would have given the nation access for trade. It would have given the nation access to uh, many types of intercommerce between other nations. Uh, it was lost during the, the reign of Joram. And if you remember Jehoram, uh if you remember, was Jehoshaphat's son who married into Ahab's family. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He lost a lot of land during his reign as king, and Eloth would have been one of those cities that he lost during this time. This is this would be like you know having uh, an entire section of your country taken over, and you don't have all the perks of having that land. And so we're going to see King Uzziah in this time. He's going to reestablish that port. He's going to take it back over. He's going to reestablish it, which in return brought in a lot of commerce for the nation. And so it also, it plays a great role as we're going to see next week. We're going to look at King Ahaz, which is uh, Uzziah's grandson. And here we see him reestablishing it for the nation. We're going to see King Ahaz lose it. Lose it back to another group of people. We'll talk about that next week. So it's an important place for them to have as a nation. And we see him reestablish it here in this moment. Uh, number three, Uzziah defeated the enemies of Judah. Let's look at verse six. It says, he went out and he made war against the Philistines. And he broke the wall of Goth and the wall of Jabna. And the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territories territories of Ashdod and everywhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbel and against the Meunites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. At points in Judah's history, we see that God will send people... Um, other nations, enemies of Judah to wreak havoc on a nation who is being disobedient, wreak havoc on a king who is being disobedient. You know, I enjoy, if there's one thing that I keep taking away from all these lessons of the king is that these nations, these rulers, these very powerful uh, warlords of the day, if you want to say, they're nothing but mere toy soldiers in the hands of God. He does with them as he wishes. If he wants this nation to defeat this nation, it will happen. If he wants them to get revenge and take uh, take revenge on that nation, he does. He does whatever he wishes. And so regardless of whether they're his people or not, they're toy soldiers in God's hands. And he uses some of these nations to come in to these kings when they're disobedient, to take over land, to punish them, and then... Much like we see here with King Uzziah, he's going to use King Uzziah to wreak havoc on them. Much like we see what happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, just to use an illustration for you, where Jehoram says God stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians. So it wasn't the Arabians and it wasn't the Philistines that said, you know what, let's do this. It was God who stirred up the spirit in their hearts to do what they did. And so Uzziah is going to make war against these nations. And even we see the Ammonites, great enemies of the nation of Judah, come and pay tribute to King Uzziah. But don't miss verse 7. God helped him against the Philistines. God helped him against the Arabians. God gave him victories over, over these people. God gave him victories over these enemies that he had. And it was because of the Lord's involvement in his life, or it says, verse 8, his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, and it says he became very strong. You know, it's amazing how God uses these kings, especially those who fear him and they seek him out, uh, how God blesses them in their endeavors. So let's look at number four. Uzziah built reconstruction projects. Reading in verse 9. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in the sepulchre and in the plain. He had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil." Along with the military victories, along with the land expansion, Uzziah was able to do building projects throughout the land. And he's going to fortify the cities and make them more powerful, especially against enemies that would come up against them. And so through King Uzziah, the nation is being shown great favor from the Lord. The nation is flourishing under his reign and God is blessing it. One of the things that I found interesting as I was studying is Christopher Knapp from the Kings of Judah. He mentions that Uzziah may have been in favor of these agricultural, agricultural projects and having fertile lands and building these cisterns and having all of these great herds because of the prophecies from Hosea and from Amos when it talks about the scarcity of food. And so, whatever his reasoning is, he's making sure that the nation is growing uh, its herds, that it has the ability to have access to water, and that it's fortifying the cities, um, even growing the food supply during his reign. Uh, number five, Uzziah expanded the military. Uzziah expanded the military. Verse 11. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war. In divisions, according to the numbers in the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Maaseiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of heads of the father's house of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power." To help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem he made machines, invented by skillful men, to be on the towers and the corners, to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong." So the military expansion, when you think about this military that Uzziah had, it was probably something to behold. And for these guys to march into battle against any enemy or for enemies to hear about the types of soldiers that he had, they would have been scared to even march against Judah. We see here that he sets up order within the ranks, You know, before there was one military leader, maybe a few military leaders underneath that leader. But besides that, it was just a free-for-all. And here he sets up military ranks. He puts men in charge of the ranks. He creates divisions according to their numbers. You know, some of the other kings had much greater numbers as far as persons in the military than what King Uzziah had. But the way in which he built up his force was it's the difference between having a million-man army and 10,000 U.S. Marines. That's the difference. I'll take the Marines all day long. And so when King Uzziah sets up this army and he equips them the way that he does, back in Bible days, if you had uh, most of the people who were soldiers or in the military, they were responsible for getting their own sword. They were responsible for getting their own armor. Not under King Uzziah's reign. He's going to make sure that his soldiers were equipped. And he will do the business of equipping them. Verse 13 says they could make war with mighty power. And that's because I think that they were equipped. They were trained to do uh, what soldiers were supposed to do. You think about some of the things that they had between shields Spears, helmets, coats of mail, that's coats of armor, bows, stones for slinging. Uh, I'll show you some pictures. This may have been some of the type of things that King Uzziah would have created. Catapults, uh, machinery to shoot arrows, lots of them at a time. And so all of these things would have been set up on the corners of the cities, on the high places of the city, so that if anyone were to come in, Just the act of looking at those military uh, devices in the city, you're like, we can't take that. They'll just pick us off as we try to advance. So their military was beyond um, the standard of any other military. It says they could shoot arrows and great stones from far away. And again, we are reminded here in this passage that his fame spread throughout the nation. His fame, fame spread all the way to Egypt. And it says, because he was marvelously helped. We don't need to miss that fact, that God was equipping him, that God was blessing him, that God was the one that was giving him this fame and success. All the way back to the first point, he feared God, he sought God. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now we get to the big part of the story. That three-letter little, little, three word, but. Because after all this well-doing, after all of this blessing, after all of these things that God has done in his life, it says Uzziah's heart was filled with pride when he was strong. You know, this word gets a lot of the kings in trouble. All of these things that God's doing, but. All is well. But, so right here, we're going to see this last point. Isaiah became proud, which led to his destruction. Did I say Isaiah? Uzziah became proud, which led to his destruction. You think my son's name is Isaiah or something. Let's read starting in verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him. Check this out. With 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor to the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. Nick Saban. Nick Saban is probably the greatest football coach of the modern era. Um, On one Saturday morning, like I always do in the fall, I set my alarm for 7 a.m. This last Saturday, I set my alarm for 7 a.m., This next Saturday, I set my alarm for 7 a.m. You're like, Corey, why would you get up early on a Saturday? I'll tell you why. I get up. First thing I do is I start cooking bacon. After I finish the bacon, I cook pancakes. That is my family's choice of breakfast every single Saturday morning. We have pancakes and bacon. After I finish cooking breakfast, I sit down and I turn on college game day. And on this particular Saturday morning on game day... They had an Alabama game that was going to be a highlight of the day. And so they're interviewing Nick Saban. And as I'm watching Nick Saban on this particular Saturday morning on game day, they ask him the question, how do you keep your players humble? How do you keep them from going, getting overconfident? Uh, if you look back at the last 10 years and see how many weeks Alabama has been ranked number one It's ridiculous how many times he's been number one. And so they ask him, how do you keep them humble? How do you keep them from being overconfident? His answer surprised me greatly. He said this. He explained that he has guys. These are not coaches. These are not guys on the payroll. These are either ex-players or people that just love Alabama football and they want to help out in any way they can. And so what these guys do is they get game tape of the previous game. And so it, what, it would be like if I was one of these guys and he says, Okay, Corey, I want you to take this game tape and I want you to watch number 77. He plays for the line. And I want you to watch and I want you to watch this entire game and you watch him and him alone. If he does something right, mark it down. If he does something wrong, mark it down. If he misses a block, mark it down. If he's called for holding, mark it down. Whatever he does, I want you to mark it down. And then on Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember what day he said it was, this man sits down with number 77. And he does not tell him good job. He does not tell him why they won the game. He does not tell them anything that he did right. All he does is tell him all of the things that he did wrong. The difference that he could have made if he had made every block. The difference he could have made if he had not held. So he takes him and he breaks them down by teaching them everything that they missed, not everything that they did right. You know, it's hard to keep players humble who are number one week after week won four of the last six national championships. It's hard to keep that type of program humble. Nick Saban says, this is how I do it. Maybe it's possible. I don't know this for a fact, but maybe Nick Saban has read Proverbs 16, 18, which says pride goes before the fall. So why do I tell you that? I think Uzziah had lost accountability. I think King Uzziah was filled with pride. I think he was focused more on his success than the one who had given him all that success. He took his eyes off of God and he put his eyes on himself or a situation. Reminds me a whole lot about Peter when he's asked to step out of the boat and walk to Jesus. He was fine for a moment. We got to give Peter props. He walked on water. He was walking out to Jesus. But when he takes his focus off of Jesus and he looks at the waves... He begins to sink. That's, I think, what's happened here with King Uzziah. David Sanford says it like this. Uzziah lost sight of God as the true king, and he put himself on the throne. In pride, he saw himself as a ruler with the power to do whatever he wanted, even if that meant breaking God's law. And the result, he decided to go in and offer incense. This was worship. This was a part of Worship in the temple. But that was not his role. That was definitely not his role as the king. I mean, this is a part of worship. A hundred percent. But this was not his role in worship. And it's definitely not the way that God intended for it to be. This took me back to Egypt. You think about the, God's people coming out of, the, out of captivity. Um, we see God's people... Uh, Get to a certain spot. Moses goes up to meet God. And what do they do while he's away? Well, let's build a golden calf. And let's name him Yahweh. And let's bow down and worship him. They began to worship this golden calf. And it says here in this moment, 80 priests, men of valor, withstood the king from making this mistake. And the mistake that he was trying to do. They pled with him. Don't do this. You will get no glory out of what you're trying to do. It will bring you no honor. And they try to throw him out of the temple. To keep you from doing this, we will throw you out of here. And it says the king becomes angry. And while he was in that anger, with the thing in his hand, God strikes him with leprosy. You know, the normal punishment for someone not uh, who was not... A priest uh, who was not of the tribe of Aaron. If they tried to offer a burnt offering of incense to the Lord, their penalty was death. But if you think about it, with King Uzziah, that's exactly what he got. Leprosy is a living death. He's about to be cut off from the world. Uzziah had lost his way. He was trying to take liberties in worship that did not belong to him. And it will cause him to live in exile the rest of his days verse 21 And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death and being a leper lived in a separate house for he was excluded from the house of the Lord and Jotham his son was over the king's household governing the people of the land it says now the rest of the acts of Uzziah from the first to the last Isaiah the prophet the son of Amos wrote and Uzziah slept with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in, in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. And Jotham his son reigned in his place. And when we think about this ending that he has. One of the greatest kings that the nation has seen. Like I said, I think it's kind of second to Solomon. Maybe even better. I don't, I don't know. But you think about his reign. You think of the things he did for the nation. And for him to try to do something in worship that did not belong to him. It caused him to be cut off from the people. To be taken away from his kingship. And then at his death he doesn't even get to be buried with the rest of the kings. He gets buried in a field because he was a leper. So that's King Uzziah. So what do we learn? What do we learn from King Uzziah's life and his reign as king? Uh, First of all, we should set ourselves to seek God. Proverbs 8, 17 tells us this. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Those who seek me diligently find me. We need to be in a place where we seek the Lord. It has to be a part of our daily lives. Because if we're not seeking the Lord, if we do get lazy in that, We get filled up with pride, just like King Uzziah. King David, one of the kings here, King David, tells us in 1 Chronicles 16, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. You know, King David is a great example. I mean, he was a man with God's own heart. But he is a great example of when you are doing things the way God has called you to, when you are seeking the Lord, things go well. When you try to do things on your own power and the way you want to do it, the train goes off the tracks. It doesn't end so well for those people. And so we, just like the kings, just like everyone in life, we are prone to wonder. We are prone to leave the God that we love. We must commit to seek God. We must seek him diligently. We must seek him continually. Secondly, we must have someone in our life who can hold us accountable. We need accountability. As the writer of Hebrews tells us to consider how to stir one another to love and good works, we all need people in our lives who will tell us the things that we don't like to hear, who will tell us when we're messing up. You know, it's like that person for Nick Saban I I don't want to hear that I missed a block, I don't want to hear that I had a bad holding call. Tell me about all the things that went. we won 56 to 7. Can't you tell me something good I did? We need people who will tell us the things that maybe we don't want to hear. Maybe when we are off just a little bit. We need people in our lives that will speak truth. Especially when we don't want to hear it. We need to hear the times when we are messing up. Uzziah did. And when he did, things went really well for him. And it went really well for the nation. When he didn't, says he was filled with pride, which led to his destruction. Number three, sin always has consequences. Uzziah's strength led to his pride, led to his downfall. His focus was off of the Lord and on himself. This led to his downfall. It's really made me think about our Sunday school lesson in my class this past Sunday as we looked at the original fall of mankind in the garden when the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and says did god really say and you fill in the blank at some point in Uzziah's life something snapped inside of his head and some some little inner voice maybe said did god really say it wasn't the king's place to offer incense to burn the incense did god really say that is that what he really meant Maybe that was back then. Maybe it's different now. Look how the Lord's blessing you. Maybe it's okay for you to do that. And just like Adam and Eve in the garden, he did something that he was not supposed to do. And it ultimately led to his separation. For Adam and Eve, it was separation from God. It was removal from the garden. It was living with the consequences that they had made. For Uzziah, it was separation from the nation. For the most part, his removal as king and with living with the consequences. When you look at it, it was kind of the same set of punishment for King Uzziah as it was for Adam and Eve. Uzziah would spend the rest of his life alone, away from everyone else, even having to give his son kingship in his place, to reign in his place. And we find out that he was even buried in a field because of his disease. He wasn't even He wasn't even able to be buried with the other kings of Judah. Here's our last point. King Uzziah's reign points us to the reign of the king of kings. King Uzziah was the only king that the prophet Isaiah had known. Having reigned well in Jerusalem for a very long time, And at his death, at the time of his death, the nation remembered Uzziah as their best king since probably King Solomon. The nation was flourishing. The nation had great wealth. They were a military power. All of these things going in their favor. Having King Uzziah on the throne meant that they had a time of peace and prosperity for the people. But now King Uzziah was dead. Okay, now he was dead. And it felt like it would only be downhill from here. What are we going to do? And I think Isaiah probably experienced a great sense of loss and fear for the nation and the direction of the nation where they were headed. Add to that this new superpower of Assyria that was coming up, threatening invasion. Isaiah really didn't know what to do. So I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. This will be the last scripture that we look at. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah does not always date his writings by putting something like he does at the beginning of Isaiah 6. But at this moment, he's going to. And I think that's because he wants his readers to know what he is about to experience and when it happens. And it was in the year that King Uzziah died. It was when he began to fear what was going to happen to the nation... And he goes to the temple to pray. This is what Isaiah does. And while he was in the temple, he sees this Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having, his hand, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. You know, Uzziah was no longer on the throne. But the Lord, the Messiah, was on his. And Isaiah wants us to know that. I can imagine that this must have been an incredible encouragement for Isaiah in this moment. To be able to see the Messiah on the throne. Jesus is the greater king that we are all waiting for. Jesus is the greater David that we long for. Uzziah's reign, even though it was great, it was flawed. And it was only pointing us forward to the king of kings, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one true king of the earth, the one true king of his people, of God's people. Uh, And with that, let's pray.